Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Welcome to Valley Point. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is truly an honor to share this day together. This is the last Sunday of a theme we have been walking through during the month of March called MADE. I want to share a big idea with you that will shape our conversation. So please take out your talk notes, grab a pen, and let's walk through this together. Here's our big idea for today. God made me to love him and others. This is actually how we're designed and created, which is fascinating. God made me. God designed me. God created me to love him and love others. That's probably not a shocking statement to anybody here, that God made me to love him and love others. This is not new information. We may not always do that. We may not always love God and love other people the way we are designed to, but it's not new information for us. Maybe you're here today, and you would say that you love God, You're just deeply in love with God and you want to live your life to honor him with what you say and with what you do. You want to honor God. I want to welcome you to Valley Point. I'm glad that you're here today. This statement that God wants us to love him and love others and we're made to do that is not shocking to you at all. It's not. Maybe you're here though And you're not so sure about God for whatever reason. When it comes to issues of faith and God, you're like, I don't know. I'm just not there. Welcome to Valley Point. I'm glad that you're here as well. And you need to know that this is a safe place for you to investigate, for you to think, and for you to question Even if you're not sure about God, even if you're not quite there, it's probably not shocking for you to hear that adherents or those who claim to follow God should love him and should love other people as well. So whether you love God and care deeply for him or if you are unsure about God and what he means and how you can even have a relationship with him, this is not new information that God wants us to love him, and love other people. Here's what I want for us today. Wherever you may be on your spiritual journey, here's what I want for us. I want us to go beyond just giving intellectual assent to the thought that God wants us to love him and love other people. I want us to move beyond that and get into a place where we live and feel and embrace that God made me God actually designed and created me to love him and to love other people. Like this is more than just a good idea or something that benefits humanity. God actually designed and created and made me to love him and to love the people around me, however difficult that may be. How do we know this? Well, I want to share a story with you, a conversation that Jesus had with a group of individuals 
That's found in Matthew chapter 22. So if you have a Bible or a device, I would encourage you to find Matthew's gospel and verse 22. These words will also appear on the screen in just a moment when I begin to read. Matthew is the first of the gospels that are found in the New Testament. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of these gospels share the good news about Jesus. They share his life and his story. Matthew is where we will be today in chapter 22. When you get to this chapter, here's what's happening. The chapter begins with Jesus sharing a story. He shares a parable to illustrate a very important truth. That's how the chapter begins. Then what you discover after that is a group of religious leaders. And in Jesus' day, there were different groups of religious people who often sparred with Jesus. They didn't appreciate his claims to be the Messiah. And so they often argued and debated. So after Jesus opens the chapter by sharing a parable, we find that a religious group comes to Jesus and they ask him a question about taxes. Imagine that. People have been debating and arguing about taxes even from Jesus' day to ours. Not a new story. But the religious group comes to him, and they have this question about taxes. And so they have a bit of a conversation. After that, another religious group comes to Jesus, and they ask him a question about the resurrection and life and death, and what does all of this mean. And so Jesus has a little conversation with them. That's the flow of the chapter. Parable, religious group coming to Jesus to ask about taxes, and then another religious group coming to Jesus to ask some questions about the resurrection. Well, here's what Jesus does, because all of these individuals are curious, trying to investigate and consider what does Jesus think about these different things. So they ask these questions, and here's what Jesus does. He gives them some brilliant answers. Of course, it's Jesus, right? That's exactly what he's going to do, and that's what happens. They fire off all of these questions about taxes, about resurrection, about other things, and Jesus gives them some amazing answers That almost amazes them. What I love is how in Matthew chapter 22, verse 22, we see how one of the religious groups responds to the information that Jesus gives to them. And you follow along as I read Matthew 22, verse 22. That's the setup. And Jesus has responded, and here's how the group reacts to the information. His reply. The reply of Jesus amazed them, and they went away. (laughs) I love that. The reply of Jesus amazed them, and it's almost like they said, we're all done here. Jesus is great. He answered in a really unique way, and we can't trap and trick him. That's what the religious groups were trying to do, and so they just went away. That's one response we see in Matthew chapter 22. There is a bigger group that's watching and observing all of this and listening to what Jesus is saying. And here's how they respond in verse 33. When the crowds heard him. 
So these are individuals who are not the religious leaders, and they are probably a little more open to what Jesus is sharing. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. Imagine that. Jesus sharing a story, answering a question about taxes, answering a question about the resurrection. When the crowds heard him teach, they were astounded at his teaching. Do you see that word astounded there in verse 33? Do you see that? It means to strike with astonishment or to be greatly astounded. So when the crowds heard him, they weren't just astounded. They were greatly astounded. They were struck with astonishment at what Jesus was sharing and with what was happening there. It's a very interesting thing. So I want you to keep all of that in mind, okay? The crowd is astounded. They're amazed at what Jesus is saying. As a result of that, the crowd begins to follow Jesus and listen to him. Like, this guy's really fascinating. We like what he's saying. He astonishes us. And so more and more people are beginning to listen to Jesus and follow Jesus. The religious leaders are now losing followers. And they're not happy about that at all because they wanted people to follow them and to listen to them. And they were very jealous of Jesus. And so more and more people are following and listening to Jesus instead of the religious leaders during this day. They're very bothered by that. And so the religious leaders attempt to trick Jesus. Let's trap him with yet another question. He's amazing. He's astounding the crowds with his brilliant answers. But let's try one more time. Maybe we can trick Jesus and trap him. Doesn't sound like a great idea, does it? To trap Jesus. No, it really doesn't. But we're on the other side of this historical moment, so we have the benefit of how Jesus responded to all of this. And here's how it plays out. Chapter 22, verse 34, okay? Crowds are following Jesus instead of the leaders. We have one more chance here to trap him and to trick him, and here's what happens. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply... So the Pharisees are one religious group. The Sadducees are another. And so when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced their other friends, their other leaders, with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law. Okay, we have to think about that for a moment because this is a smart individual. This is a sophisticated person who would have studied and would have known the law of Moses. I mean, they've got it all down. And Jesus certainly would have known this about the religious leader. He was an expert, a smart man. He tried to trap Jesus with his question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? All right, Jesus, you're a smart guy and you have answered correctly regarding taxes and regarding resurrection. You are astonishing the crowds. Let me trap you this way. With all of the laws that Moses gave to us to guide our lives and to instruct us as God's people, as a nation, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now let's pause there before we consider how Jesus responds. Because this is quite a question, isn't it? 
What is the greatest commandment? Of all of the laws, Jesus, what's the greatest? It's almost like asking, what is the most important tax law? Right, tax season is coming. I'm sure you're in tune with all of that. What is the most important tax law? I have no idea. Probably all of them, right? Because they're all kind of scary and you have to abide by them so you don't get in trouble. So how do you answer that question? What is the greatest tax law? All of them, I guess. I don't know. Or it could be like trying to answer this question. What's the greatest cheesesteak? I don't know. It just kind of depends on who you ask and their preferences. These are tough questions to answer. Now, imagine this being presented to Jesus of all of the commands. What is the greatest commandment? This question was designed intentionally by the religious leaders to trap Jesus, to get him to say something wrong so that they could point to him and say, he's a fake Jesus, fake Messiah. Hashtag fake Messiah, that's this guy. You don't want to follow him. So come back to our side because we have it right and and we know what we're supposed to be doing and what you should be doing as well. This guy is a fraud. So don't follow him at all. And here's why I would say that. Scholar and theologian, J. Dwight Pentecost, wrote a book several years ago called The Words and Works of Jesus. Pentecost was just a, a brilliant, mind. He actually passed in 2014. We have some of his family members who attend our church. And so I want to thank the Pentecost family for their contribution to biblical scholarship. But J. Dwight Pentecost in his book, The Words and Works of Jesus, actually addresses how incredible this question is based on all of the laws and all of the requirements that people were supposed to fulfill in this day. Here's what he says. The religious leaders had codified the law. Keep in mind, the law is referring to what Moses gave their ancestors as a way to guide their lives. That's the law. So the religious leaders had codified the law into 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions. These 613 precepts were imposed by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, on their followers as their obligation. Okay, think about that. (laughs) 248 commandments. Here's what you're supposed to do. 248 different things. And then there are 365 prohibitions, one for every day of the year. Don't do these things. So do... This list over here, don't do this list over here. There are 613 different things that people were supposed to do or not do. I look at all of that and say, it sounds absolutely exhausting. Can you imagine trying to keep up with 613 different do's and don'ts? How do you even remember all of them? I mean, it really sounds exhausting. Quite honestly, on most days, I'm just trying to get through the day without embarrassing myself or my family. (laughs) I mean, that's my goal, just trying to get through the day. Can you imagine trying to keep up with all of these different laws and codes? It sounds really difficult. And the religious leaders, 
in Jesus' day loved to argue and debate over the greatest commandment. We have these 613 different things. So which is the greatest commandment? And you can almost hear them talking about it. Hey, religious leader, what are you doing on Friday night? Well, I don't have any plans. Well, that's great. We're going to get together and debate about the greatest commandment in the religious law. Sounds wonderful. I'll be there. And they love to just get together and debate and think about the greatest commandment. That's what they did with their free time. Jesus, on the other hand, and you see this in scripture, used his time not to argue about the greatest commandment, but Jesus intentionally, purposely, used his time to hang out with sinners. (laughs) We see this in the Gospels. It's what Jesus did. It's what he loved to do. He spent a considerable amount of time hanging out with sinners When you look at some passages, it even uses the phrase, he hung out with notorious sinners. They were famous for sinning, and they were really good at it, and Jesus liked spending time with them instead of debating the religious law. I would posit to you that Jesus probably had a lot more fun than the religious leaders hanging out with notorious sinners. He ate and he drank with them, and I'm sure the food was a lot better, but that's a different discussion, okay? That's Jesus. Now, here's how he replies to that loaded question. What's the greatest commandment? Verse 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then here comes verse 40, which is amazing. It's shocking. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets. And Jesus would have known about the 613 do's and don'ts. Jesus was fully aware of all of that. He was an expert himself. So the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus makes it simple, doesn't he? He basically says, okay, religious leaders, there's all of these laws and you guys talk about this and it's exhausting. Let me break it down for you. So get your talk notes and write this down. I'm going to break down those 613 laws into two things that you should be doing. And I noticed some of you grabbed your talk notes. I was referring to Jesus talking to the religious leaders saying, write this down guys, but you can write this down as well. All right, here we go. Two things. Jesus said, love God and love others. That's our big idea. And I believe we were made to do this. Jesus said, all that that stuff, all the things you're supposed to be doing, all these codes and regulations, how about if we just do this? Love God and love others. Love God, it's an all-inclusive precept of how we relate to God. And love others, this is an all-inclusive precept of our responsibility to each other. By the way, we, we do have a responsibility to each other. We do. And I believe God made us. I believe this because we see it displayed in Scripture. I believe God made us 
to love him. You know, we've had a beautiful picture of that this morning with all those who have walked through baptism, with their life, with their story. They are sharing with all of us, I love God. I love him in my imperfect ways because we are all imperfect human beings. But in my imperfect ways, I'm sharing with everybody that I love God. And it's a beautiful picture. And will you help me congratulate those once again who were baptized this morning? It's great. (laughs) Really proud of all of you for taking that step to give us a visual display of one of the ways we can demonstrate to others that we love God. And again, I believe God made us. He designed us. He created us to respond to him and to his greatness to love him. I also believe that God designed and created and made us to love the people around us as well. And often that can be a bit more challenging. So let's do this. I want to share two takeaways with you and then I'll pray and we'll be done. The first takeaway is this. How am I demonstrating my love for God? That's a question all of us need to consider. How am I demonstrating my love for God? And let me talk to you about two unique ways I think that can happen. What is it that you give your time to? What just devours your calendar? What's your to-do list look like as you embark on a week? What are you giving your time to? I believe if we're loving God, some of our time should be going to him and responding to him and talking to him, worshiping him, reading about him, studying him. We should give time to that. So one of the ways we can really investigate this personally is to just ask, what am I giving my time to? Does a little bit of that time involve responding to the God who made me? You're here On a Sunday morning, you could be doing something else. I'm glad that you're here. I think that demonstrates you want to learn about God and at least consider him. Even if you're unsure about him, that's okay. You're here and you're seeking, and I think that's a great thing. When we give time to something like this, it's a demonstration. Okay, God, I love you, and I'm going to give a little bit of my day to you. That's a great thing. And one of the ways we can answer the question, How am I demonstrating that I love God? What do you give your time to? Here's the second approach. And that is, how do you respond to life's circumstances? How do you respond to those things? And maybe there are successes that you have experienced in life. How do you respond to that? Are you taking all the credit? You know, here's what I've done and... Here's what I've accomplished, my ability, my intellect, my smarts, whatever that may look like for you. Or is there a sense where you're giving praise to God for allowing you to walk through all of that? So when success comes, how are you directing that? Is it more to you or is it involve giving God a little bit of recognition as well? And what about the reverse of that? When a storm comes, when a challenge comes that just rattles you to the core, 
How are you responding to that? And even if there are questions, and even if there is anger and doubt about God and his goodness, which that always happens generally when something rattles us to the core, we begin to question and wonder, what is God doing and why is this happening to me? Even with all of that, are we taking those questions and those doubts and that anger to God and leaving it with him and trusting him, even if we don't have all of the answers? I think one of the ways we can demonstrate our love for God is on good days and on very challenging days, continuing to respond to him and trusting him no matter what may be happening around us. So how am I demonstrating my love for God? What does that look like for you? It's going to be different for each and every one of us. So just think through that. Here's the second takeaway. Another question. Where can I make a difference this week by loving my neighbor, someone in my world? That's how I define that. So who's your neighbor? Uh, It's someone in my world that I bump into on a regular basis. Where can I make a difference this week? (laughs) So we don't want to delay this into, you know, next month or maybe at some point this year. Let's make it simple. Jesus broke down all of those laws and codes by saying love God and love others. So let's say, how can we this week, this week make a difference by loving my neighbor, someone in my world who may not even deserve it? And maybe that's the exact person God wants us to serve. We use this phrase here at Valley Point quite a bit. That we are to be on mission where we live, work, and play. We are to be purposeful wherever we go. And we talk about how the church isn't just this room. It's not just this building. The church is a group of believers And the church is wherever we go. So we're gathered today, but in a few moments, everyone is going to leave. You don't stop being the church just because you're in this room or not in this room. So be on mission. This is the challenge for the church. Be on mission where you live, work, and play. And maybe in those arenas where you live, work, and play involves school, our office, our team, that group, our social contexts, all of that is encompassed in live, work, and play. Maybe there's someone there who is in desperate need of your mercy and compassion. Sometimes we get so busy, we're running around that we don't even bother to look at our neighbor, that individual where we live, work, and play who may desperately need that touch of compassion and mercy from us. So let's do this. As we think about how we have been made to love God and love others, let's see the needs around us. Sometimes we don't even bother to see. So let's open our eyes and look. Let's move toward that need. Let's choose to do something about it. And then let's endure with that individual. I believe this is the work of compassion. So, where can I make a difference this week? By loving my neighbor, someone in my world? I think God will make that very real to you and probably that person coming to your mind right now is the very person that you need to serve which will demonstrate that you indeed do love other people and you were made to do that. So why do all of this? 
Well, back to the big idea. We do this because God made us. (laughs) He created us. He designed us to love him and to love other people. It's how we're made. So will you join me this week in living out this big idea and seeking in our frail and in our imperfect ways to love God and love the people around us. We're made for this. Father, we come into your presence just grateful for today and an opportunity to think about a conversation you had many years ago. And you amazed the crowds as you spoke. I think they found you to be shocking because you made things so simple and clear. And I think we need that type of clarity as much today as in the days of Jesus. And so here we are as a gathered church saying, God, we're made, we're designed, we're created to love you and to love others. Father, I pray that you'd help me throughout this week to demonstrate that. And God, I pray that for everybody here as well, that you would use this content and this big idea to help us love you and love other people. God, for those who do claim to know you and have a friendship with you, this is not new information, but would you help us to actually do it this week? Help us. And God, for those individuals in the room who aren't sure about God or there are questions or doubts, angst toward you, I pray that you would encourage them today. Help them to see how they were made specifically by you. So God, give us a great week of honoring you. I pray for these individuals who are baptized today. We thank you for each and every one. Encourage them. Give them a wonderful day. Help them as they have expressed to all of us their story. Help them to continue to honor you with their lives. Thank you for your love for us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.